0: Find labs This is State of Demand Gen. Back for our third TikTok Live. We got more questions. We're going in different directions, just Demand Gen. So for those who want to talk about entrepreneurship, career, business, finance, other shit like that, we're going to go, we have a bunch of questions. So, looking forward to that. Um, so, so, Clayton Smiths motion wants to know, why is it that website traffic is not better than social traffic? I, I, I'm not saying that website traffic is not better than social traffic. What I'm saying is that the videos that I post get 150,000 impressions on LinkedIn and most businesses' websites get like 20, 30K total traffic per month, but they spend hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars total, maintaining and supporting their website, blogs, content, visual identity, design, millions of dollars maintaining the website, but won't spend fucking $5,000 to make make a LinkedIn production or a podcast show that drives tons of engagement. And we need to be looking at where are people actually starting? And the place where people start, where they're actually like learning and buying, you can think about this all, it all starts in dark social. In communities, social networks, direct word of mouth, peers and things like that, that is what happens before someone gets to your website. So we need to be valuing these at a different level. So I hope that was a clarifying for you, Clayton. It's not to say that website traffic isn't important. It's to say that people's mindset is that social impressions and things like that aren't as important as website. And my view is that they should at least be on equal footing. Drop your questions in the chat if people wanna talk through stuff. Question here, does a looming tech recession have you worried about uh, churn from our customer base or stalled acquisition? Um, so I'm gonna tell, uh, as, a, as a business leader and owner that's been through more than one of these, right? It's, I actually look at how this, uh, this, what happens when there's a slowdown is that companies have pressure put on them to be smarter about what they're doing, which then accelerates them getting to places where they should have gotten to anyway. We can use the pandemic in 2020 as a good uh, parallel to what's happening right now from an economic standpoint. April 2020, or even late March, April, the economy's tanking. No B2B buyers are buying anything. Every, every budget item stalled. Some companies are going through layoffs because cash flow reasons and things like that. But then what happens 60 days later, companies figure out, okay, we're gonna have to figure out how to move forward. We're gonna have to figure out how to invest. And what do they realize when they do that? What they realize is we need to invest way more in digital execution because we gotta figure this stuff out now. Our outbound sales isn't working like it used to. We can't do events. We gotta figure out digital. We should have figured out digital five fucking years ago. We should have figured this out five years ago, but we didn't. So here we are, it's June, 2020. And now we have to go and learn it for ourselves, which ended up driving a lot of business for my company. I'm sure a lot of other companies, and then we went through a a strong boom. So it put a lot of pressure on, what are the things that used to work for us that we're not gonna do anymore? The same thing that's happening right now is we have a slowdown. When there's a slowdown, what happens? Companies end up, companies that are over leveraged, lay people off, delay hiring, uh, cut variable expenses that don't matter, and things like that. So they're gonna have all this pressure put on them when they don't have sound business fundamentals. And then they're gonna to have to decide what, they're, they're not gonna, you're gonna keep having a business, you know what I mean? So they're gonna to have to decide what are the things that are wasteful that we're gonna stop doing. And what I think is going to happen, my prediction here, is that what companies are going to realize is that we're overspending on capturing demand and we gotta figure out how to create demand and it's gonna drive a lot of business to my company because we know how to do it and a lot of other people don't know how to do it yet. But what people are going to look at is they're going to look. At, they're going to start scrutinizing. We spend a million dollars a quarter on Google Ads. We're spending two hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year with Gartner. We have all of these people writing SEO content. We have this agency that's doing PR. They're going to look at this stuff and then they're going to have to decide what are the things that are actually driving our business. And what they're going to find is that a lot of the stuff they spend their money on doesn't help drive their business. So. Long-winded way of saying, the only thing that happens in an economic slowdown is there's pressure put on companies to to do things faster that that they should have been doing anyway. If you think about like Uber Eats delivery, same deal. You know what I mean? Like in in 2019, there's restaurants that should have been crushing Uber Eats. Should have been crushing it, but they didn't have to. They weren't, there was no pressure put on them. The economy was good, so they just didn't have to. Then the pandemic happens. They can't serve people in person and then they gotta scramble and go and figure it out. The same thing's gonna happen right here, is that companies should have been doing this a long time ago, didn't do it because the economy was good, Pressure is gonna get put on them, and they're gonna have to go and figure out the right things to do that work in the, in the world today. Drew, got a question here. Have you ever used an SIC code list for a marketing campaign? There's a targeting criteria that we we use uh, both Clearbit and metadata to target and that's one of the criteria. The data is just not, it's not, um, there's not enough of it. Like most of the data is not cleared in that. I personally haven't tried, but in my, I, I have tried to make the list and the lists are not big enough. So I always try and find a different way to target them. There's occasions where it might be the only way to get to them, but my recommendation would be to find a better way. Just solely because of the lack of date. There's not every, almost every company, you know, the employee size. That's not the case for SIC code from LinkedIn. What are some non-technical skills that would help land a role in SaaS marketing? The things that I'm looking for, like, I don't know, you, you, I'm going to talk to you about what I'm looking for. The, but the challenge is that a lot of people in the market aren't looking for these things, but if you want to work, If you wanna work at my company, these are the things that I'm looking for. Customer focus. Can you go out, can you talk to customers? Can you put together a strategy? Can you do customer research? Can you engage in communities? Like that type of work. Customer first. The next one is can you put together an experience or a body of work of actually doing marketing in a different setting? Can you create a podcast and get it to 50 episodes about something that you're passionate about. Could you start a, you know, a, an interest-based TikTok channel about whatever thing that you're interested in? Could you start an e-commerce store and sell some stuff so that you have a body of work to present that says, "Hey, like, here's what I've done so far and here's what I've learned." I think that's like the most compelling the most compelling thing. The last thing that I'll say is that there's a huge advantage for marketers that can understand finance and business data because most marketers don't don't think about it and don't try so are you able to collect the um, to go through a PL to understand and measure customer acquisition cost to compare that against outbound you might have to create some level of a model or a simulation in order to make that happen but those are some of the things that you could do if you can get into a crm and tell tell companies what's working what's not and why that's a skill that every company needs a lot of those like that would sort of get bucketed into a rev ops or marketing ops category and I'm like no like every marketer should know how to put together that type of report analyze the data and drive better marketing decisions off of it not asking their marketing ops team to put together an ad hoc report for them okay advice for starting a bootstrap tech company as a side hustle don't have resources to leave the role again i'm going to tell you what i did right so um the uh the part-time bootstrapped tech company may not be the way to get there Uh, another piece of it is like tech companies the barrier entry is not that high but it's way higher than certain other businesses where you're not going to need a ton of upfront capital so there's like three strikes here Part-time, not not gonna work, bootstrapped, combined with a low barrier or a high barrier to entry, potentially. I would rethink this completely. What I did is I started a different company. I started a service company that can be profitable from day one, that allows me to, to leave my job and work on it full-time, that provides cash flow, provides market research with customers, provides resources like the employees and things that work here. And now we're going to build products. Now we're going to build tech. Now the company's doing 20 million in revenue and a lot of profit, and we got a lot of momentum. So I would rethink the ordering of this. And I would think what, what, is, it, what is a e, like low buried entry software professional services company that I can build that gets me in the right direction of the tech product that I'm building and gets me out of my job? more quickly. So that's that would be my recommendation there to just change the order of how you're doing it. Yeah, Nick here. Why don't enough marketers care about retention? What are your thoughts on retention as a marketer? Um, so I think the uh, I, everyone in the business should care about retention. Let me start there. Like have customer success is what drives dark social, drives um, word of mouth, drives a lot of overall acquisition for marketers. So cu- customers that are happy are definitely a good thing for the business and for marketers on their own. Retention to me is is a really interesting indicator on ICP, which allows you to then use that, that type of data to go out and do qualitative market research, which then allows you to adjust your positioning and then your marketing strategy again. So I use it as an insight to try and find patterns that allow me to adjust the business strategy and then focus on demand. Um, as a marketer, my ability to impact retention if we're in a enterprise sales model was very low, right? A marketer's job is to attract the market, sales then is actually going to capture that demand and convert it into a customer, hopefully with the right expectations, they fit the ICP, they're going to be successful, and the customer success is doing that next component to actually help them be successful. So. From a marketer's standpoint, you actually don't have too much control over retention, which is why probably less people think about it, uh, less marketers think about it. But I think that there's some interesting insights in there. And then if you're in a uh, product-led growth or like some type of motion which is pr- primarily self-serve, then um, I love this motion because then there's there's nothing in the middle. It's marketers and rev, it's marketing and revenue. Um, and so if you're in that motion, then retention should be a very top of mind because what happens with with that a lot is you get this performance marketing view, you get customers that churn within 60 days in product lead and it just wastes a lot of money and time. Um, but I agree with you, not a lot of marketers, uh, I'm, I'm not sure that it, I would say marketers don't care about retention, but I would say that marketers are not paying that much attention to it. Okay, Netflix announced an ad supported plan. What are your thoughts on B2B advertising on connected TV? so i think connected tv is an interesting medium but what i'll say uh, in addition to this is that you have no absolutely no sense in doing connected tv if you can't do linkedin ads there's a very few companies that are really rocking and rolling on a linkedin ad with to, by creating demand putting content that people like videos animations shit like that there's almost no companies doing that, which means that almost no company should be focused on connected TV right now. What are you going to do? You're going to take $50,000, make some like, like random video and target people on connected TV and be one and done, like not be able to measure it, not drop. Like there's just a ton of holes here. I think that there's a lot of potential opportunity in the future for companies that have taken the steps to master LinkedIn, to master a podcast, to start getting involved in TikTok, to think about out of home, to think about connected TV. But there's a lot of steps that companies haven't taken yet that they should before they explore connected TV. What's up Mike, got a question here. What is the process for the first 30 to 90 days when Refine Labs works with a new client? Cool, so Mike, in the first 30 days, like we're working on basically two core objectives. Number one, analyze the current business state and map that against future projections. So, like what's working, what's not, what are the goals, what are we gonna need to get there over a period of time. The second piece is start to get initial campaigns into market so that we can begin our experimentation process to go out and learn. So within the first 45 days, the goal is to have all, like all of our initial experimentation channels running, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, potentially YouTube, Google search, maybe an ABM platform. So we got all that stuff that's running it in market so that we can collect data and we can learn. And then over the first 90 days at the end, the goal is to have a meaningful impact on the number of meetings that the, that company books through their website. The reason that we focus on this metric is because meetings booked through your website should, if you're an if you have an enterprise sales motion should be the number one driving source of revenue with the highest pipeline velocity in your entire business. High qualified buyers coming to you saying, I want to buy, they close faster. You win them more, you're more productive with your sales team. There's just a lot of reasons why to do it. And it it maps perfectly to how a B2B buyer would want to buy. So that's like the overall KPI that we're working toward in the first 90. I mentioned a couple of steps looking at like the historicals, re-architecting the mix, then going through some, some level of an experimentation process to figure out how are we going to dial in linkedin how are we going to dial in facebook what is the content mix and cadence like there's a lot of like technical details inside of each channel that will that will work through but that's how we it's the initial how we work through it happy to help mike um from linkedin i see that you're doing a TikTok live have you tested what are your thoughts on linkedin live audio event or video events um a couple of years ago i did Uh, quite a few LinkedIn live events, and I actually found them quite productive, but oftentimes in the live format, I am working on um, creating content that can be consumed asynchronously. So I'm trying to create, like, it's great to have people live. We're going to do our demand gen live later today. That'll probably have 100 or more people live. But the main and the main purpose is to help people that are in the audience, and then create a piece of content that could be a podcast, LinkedIn videos, and things like that. The live element just makes it easier for me to create personally. Um, when I think about like my content strategy moving forward, and why we've selected TikTok Live specifically, it's because I'm looking to expand my my content like topics. So I think that I have a lot to offer in. What it's like to be a CEO of a rapidly growing company. How we think about culture. How we think about finance and funding the company. How we um, think about our offsite and team events. How we. What's our stance on remote work? What are the values of the business? How do we, you know, how, how do we recruit and attract top talent? How do we think about sales and marketing? There's a lot of elements that I don't speak that much on about how to run a business, and so the hope is that through the TikTok Live, I can get into a situation where I can talk through more content elements like that, which probably wouldn't happen if I did it in a LinkedIn Live. So that's just the difference about why we chose it. Is there value in LinkedIn Live? I mean, I personally qualitatively gotten value from the events that I've participated in. Um, but LinkedIn is, a, LinkedIn is a really like interesting platform and I think will be a future case study uh, in business because they literally can't release any, any features. They can't move their users from doing anything, right? Like they want stories, complete fail. They they tried, I think they, I'm not sure if they actually did, but they tried to launch audio rooms like a clubhouse. I'm not even sure that went to market, but complete fail. They tried to have this LinkedIn live. Nobody uses it. They just, they, it's, it's not, it's not a true social network yet. It's a B2B company that makes money selling ads and selling recruiting tools and selling sales tools to businesses. I hope that at some point LinkedIn can grow up a little bit and really become a social network and evolve in the content and the different things like that. But up to this point, I haven't seen it. What's your suggestion on AB testing tool to evaluate funnels? Any thought on VWO? Um, uh, can't pronounce the name here, but this is a great question. Um, I'm, personally focused 100% on creating demand. And when you are creating demand, you don't need A-B testing because you're not optimizing for a short-term metric like clicks or form fills or click-through rate or things like that. So A-B testing is only useful for capturing demand. Um, That said, we've tried a couple of VWO Optimizely, HubSpot has like a lightweight built-in tool. I personally don't have any I personally don't have any preference, but what I would say to you is, I'd look at what is your your time and resource allocation between capturing demand and creating demand, because if you're if you're looking through this, like this part, you're probably way over leveraged on capturing demand. Okay, Nick, will we Refine Labs do any in person micro events? soon? would love to meet up with people. Yeah, I'd love to meet up with people too. Um, we don't have any plan on the calendar, but that's something that we'll probably do hopefully either, um, hopefully either in Boston or Austin or another place soon. Um, maybe Todd and Angelica can take that. We'd love to get back to doing micro events. I did a couple of them in pre-pandemic 2020 and they were so fun and effective. And I just love getting out there and showing people that there's another way to run an event, especially a live event, than what most people, most people do. Cool. Uh, What are your thoughts on companies giving employees shares? Does it actually lead to retention? Okay. (laughs) Whoa, this is going to be a big one. So from the employee side, so from my side, um, I have been an employee of several companies before I started my company. Two of them, I was granted shares. Um, one of them, the company achieved the outcome that they were going for. So like it, what was supposed to happen from the employees to make all the money. It happened. The company IPO, They IPO market cap at that point was like 500 million. The problem was that they raised like 450 million in order to get there. So what happens? Investors get all the money back, then all the primary shareholders. And by the time it gets to an employee, I think my shares were worth like $17,000 pre-tax So, as a if you are a you know director, manager, even sometimes a VP level employee, or if you're joining as employee more than 150 and beyond, like your shares are so diluted. Like even if the company does super well, like the odds of you having any level of a life-changing amount of money, like and I think life-changing amount of money is like more than a couple years of your salary, you know what I mean? You make 100 grand, like life-changing amounts, probably even 250 grand when you make 100K is not a life-changing amount of money. So um, I personally think that shares are often, like employees think, oh my gosh, like it's gonna be worth so much. And then you get to the end and what happens and what you realize is, damn, I stayed here for five years for $8,000 for this company to get, bought or go public or whatever um so i think that people really need to think about what are the shares outstanding how much are these shares worth what is the op like the possibility this company actually exits what would that mean to me employees are the lowest in the totem pole and who gets paid out there's primary i don't know the exact terminology but there's primary investors there's other types of shareholders employees have like the lowest payout so everyone gets paid before employees um I think that it wrongly leads to. I think it leads to uh, the idea that you should stay for it. Um, but from an employer standpoint, what happens is that you have people that don't want to be there staying for shares. So I think it actually creates. Um, there's a uh, like cer- during certain vesting sequences, like if you're trying to vest shares over two years, then there's a lot of people that are like they call them zombies. They've been there for 18 months. They're not. They're not engaged at work. They're not providing any value but they want to stay there for six more months so that their shares can vest before they leave. Um, so I think I personally think that when you think about employee retention, it should be looked at holistically. I think that you have, there's, uh, there's financial outcomes, there's benefits, there's growth opportunities, there's learning opportunities, there's the overall culture, there's, whether it's like traveling or other things, there's just so much uh, what the environment is like. There's so much wrapped into what an employee experience that what le- leads to retention could mean, um, and I think that employees look at it in a, typically look at it in a very narrow-minded view that's only financial, which leads them to join companies where they can't grow, where they don't learn, and where the financial outcomes aren't even that much better. So, um, encourage people to think a little bit differently there. Okay, got another one here. How to fix demand gen activities when, when you, the only thing you do is using intent data. Um, so if you're using intent data, then by definition, you are only capturing demand because you wouldn't get the data if there was no intent. There needs to be, if there's intent, then that means that you're capturing the demand because something else had to have happened to create the data, to create the intent data which would be the, what created the demand, and then the intent data happens. So if you're only using intent data, I think you're fucked. I think you're in trouble because you're not taking control over how the demand is actually being created. And when you don't have control over how the demand's being created, one, you don't have control over your own growth, two, somebody else is creating a demand, which means that they're gonna be the first choice and a lot of the buyers are gonna go straight to them while you try and Sit behind your desk and get some intent data and call some people that have never heard of your company, that don't know your product, that already want to work with somebody else. Personally, I think it's a losing game if you're not if you're not creating demand, intent data is a waste of time. Do you value channels based on pipeline created versus closed one? When you hear more timing not right as a disqualification reason. Um, so I don't look at the channels. I look at the sources of pipeline. So like did someone come through our website asking for a demo? Did we cold call them? Did we get intent data and cold call them? Did they convert on a lead gen ad inside of Google and never actually hit our website? Like those are the the things that I'm looking for. Um, and as a as a marketer that should that is with the goal of looking at it like a business leader like, I, what I would be doing if there's a lot of disqualification reasons of like timing's not right or things like that, I'd be looking to go and talk to those people to understand for myself what the reasons were in a more qualitative fashion. So I think that marketers are always like, oh, I'll just like get the information from sales or customer success or somebody else will give me the insights. Like you need to go get the insights. You need to have relationships with customers. You need to learn those things. But there's a when when you when I hear the question, do you value channels based on pipeline created versus closed one? When you hear timing's not right as a disqualification criteria, my number one guess is that you're running performance marketing and your sales team is talking to people that don't want to buy right now. And the solution is to create demand and not just capture it. You talk about letting people book time with AEs directly, but how do I ensure that they're high value calls? So what you do is before you let people book count meetings with AEs directly, you prove that the people that fill out that form convert into qualified meetings with reps at 50, 60, 70, 80% or more. The meetings that get booked through our website that are qualified convert to meetings at I think 96% is the last time I checked. So what needs to happen before you have AE's book is that you need to have AE trust. You need to have data that supports making this decision based on conversion rates to stage two, either either a successful call or stage two pipeline. You need to have the sales leader on board with understanding that this is a high quality source of pipeline and by doing this, we're going to optimize the buyer experience. Speaking of that, you're going to want to get the CEO on board or whoever is responsible for the overall end-to-end customer experience. There's a lot of work that needs to be done up front to, for the organization to understand that this is a no-brainer. So I would work on those couple of things, um, because, and it might take some time to actually get there, but you need to build confidence so that what you want is you don't want to have to say AEs, I'm going to book time on your calendar. You want your AEs coming to you saying, "I want these people to book time on my calendar directly." What are the things that you? So you need to go out and drive demand, have great meetings, move them to close one. Like there's a lot of work to do before you just have them book time on, on the calendar. Okay, we got a question here. It's sort of like abbreviated, so I'm going to try, but. Uh, how do I fix go-to-market to make it more scalable and predictable? So uh, I'm not sure that we're going to have enough time for this one, but let's let's go into a couple of details. The first thing uh, on go-to-market is like, do you have a cust like a target customer that values what you do that? Um, that needs your product and is willing to pay for it. A lot of companies don't even have that. They don't have a defined customer targeted well enough. They don't have the right messaging. So there's like elements of strategy that are typically like where go to, I'm gonna answer it more on the execution side, but typically go-to-market issues are rooted in the strategy side. Not having the right ACP, not segmenting properly, not messaging properly, not being aligned at the executive level on what the right metrics are for sales and marketing not being aligned at the executive level, that marketing should be creating demand and sales should be capturing demand. Like there's a lot of things that need to be worked out there. On the execution side, the number one thing about why it's not predictable or scalable is because companies are running lead gen. And it's predictable, it's just predictably terrible. You know what I mean? Like It's predictable that you'll win one in a thousand of these leads, but that's terrible. So um, the, the insight is transitioning from only capturing demand or running lead generation to actually going out and creating demand, which requires new metrics, requires a new mindset at the executive level and marketing team level, requires like a new way to think about attribution and other things. Um, But that's a very complex question. So that would be better for like a back and forth conversation. Thanks everyone for joining. This has been the third TikTok Live that we've been doing. We do this every, um every tuesday at 4 p.m central 5 p.m eastern Um, so if you all want to uh come back and check it out we'll be here next week hope to see you there and uh yeah hope this was helpful see you soon Hey everyone! Really appreciate you tuning into this episode of the State of Demand Gen podcast, and I just wanted to take a second to say to all of the listeners out there, we just crossed over forty thousand listeners across the world to this podcast, and so super grateful and super happy that for all of you, really appreciate you tuning in, attending the live events, engaging on the LinkedIn content, and now watching us get started up and engaging on YouTube and TikTok, and so. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you to all of you. And if you haven't already, if you've gotten value from the podcast, I would really appreciate if you'd go to Apple podcasts in the review section of this podcast and leave a quick review or a rating. It would mean a lot to me. Thank you very much. And we'll see you for the next episode.